On today's episode of Yang Speaks, you've got Zach Brownman and Carly Riley. We're talking about how the media is covering Afghanistan. We're talking about the ultimate vaccine debate. And we're breaking down what the heck verifiable credentials are and why they are going to change the world. Tune into Yang Speaks right now. Carl, I walked into the living room yesterday and you were very upset about Afghanistan. I think we're all upset, but you were more emotional than all of us. Um, and I think it's it's not only what's happening there, but also kind of the way things are being covered. Um, it's trying to trigger a whole bunch of emotions and thoughts in your brain. Where's your head at on what's going on in Afghanistan? Oh, I, yeah, I think a lot of people were really upset yesterday. I know I got a text from my my mom saying that she and my dad were really upset. So I know it's it's not just me. Um, I think my my first reaction was just heartbreak and anger on behalf of the people who fought alongside us in Afghanistan yeah. and our allies who were committed to this vision we had painted of, of a better future and who it feels like we have abandoned to literally be slaughtered. And mm -hmm. that feeling like there was a betrayal there and that we betrayed these people, it, 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 it makes me really upset. Oh God. <laughs> yeah, there's, um, you're not alone. And I think the media, so we're not expert. You have, um, you actually have a deep passion for the Middle East, but neither of us will ever claim to be experts, certainly not me, in, in this space. Um, but I think it, we had a very, very human reactions that were shared by a lot of people of just, this is, you know, th this is the lefty in me. It feels like this is what the United States sort of does is we meddle in places that we don't fully understand the lay of the land. We don't understand what's going on. We don't fully understand what we're getting ourselves into. And then, and then we leave for, for reasons that I fully understand. Um, and it's catastrophic for the people who are there. Uh, and well, we can't get democracy right in our own country. So trying to do it in the middle well, of the world. We, I mean, we uh, have, I, I believe we have free, free and fair elections. Now you sound like a, uh, I meant like we have tons of problems <laughs> here for us to like, to us to have the, like the gall to be like, Oh, let us show you how it's done. Seems a little bit of a reach. Uh, and to me, it's, it's more about, it's just very complicated to go into foreign countries. I mean, so I, I have a good friend who his parents are diplomats and they, uh, are, are diplomats in, in Eastern Europe, in Russia. So they're, you know, connected to Middle East for various reasons. Um, and she told me that when we first sent troops into Afghanistan, we trained people in the wrong dialect for the region we were sending them to. Nice. And it's like, that's just epitomizes the arrogance with which we approached this situation. And we've basically seen that in 20 years, we have not created a stable country. Um, so, so the, the, that my first reaction was just the, the, my heart goes out to everyone there. I think it is, I just can't imagine how terrifying it is to have the Taliban come and storm your city or, and yeah. to know that you were somebody who helped the Americans, that everyone knows you were somebody who helps the Americans. So it's just a matter of time before you have your head chopped off and you can't leave. And I, I mean, I, I just think it is, I think we should be just outraged that we have put people in this situation. No. which I am clearly I, I'm not I'm not gonna cry I'm, I'm okay um and then I think it was interesting because you know I am somebody who, who tends to have a lot of empathy uh but have, have have also found myself on the other side of leftists who who kind of claim that they are the they have a monopoly on empathy and 
one of those situations is also the Middle East conflict, Israel-Palestine conflict, which came up again because I thought it was striking how the media is covering Afghanistan as opposed to how some media outlets covered the Israel-Palestine situation recently. Um, So I I tweeted this, but there's a a 501c3 foundation called the Slow Factory that has a social media presence and does blog posts, et cetera. And I I wanna share kind of two, two different posts that they made. So the first was a post recently, I think it came out yesterday, today is Tuesday, we're recording this. So it was, it was Monday of this week. Um, and it said, quote, it is not possible to condense decades of conflict into a single Instagram post. What's happening in Afghanistan is complex, nuanced and devastating. We encourage our community to take time to explore the list of resources that we have shared. And then somebody clever on Twitter found this post that, that Slow Factory had also posted you know, a month ago or a couple months ago um, <laughs> about Israel and Palestine. Quote, what is happening in Palestine is not complicated. It's settler colonialism and ethnic cleansing. So you have them saying you can't actually, that decades old conflicts can't be summarized in a single in a Instagram post. And then showing how they have suggested that you can do exactly that when it comes to Israel, Palestine. For Israel, Palestine, it's black and white. You're on one side or the other, but Afghanistan, it's complicated. And I think it's, to me, the left is getting a healthy dose of their of medicine right now in the sense that, and I've been in this camp where we've been calling for, and many of us on the left have been calling for the end of the wars, the end of the forever wars or end of troops and, and wars in the Middle East for decades. And we finally did it. And it's literally blowing up in our face, in everyone's face. And um the reason is it's well, that, complicated and um, that sounds like you're suggesting that we shouldn't be pulling out which i, I don't I'm not think saying that. that you're suggesting uh, that. I think i'm not we, suggesting you know, but my that. point is that, that endless war. Yeah. it's the right we need to get out of there um it's a shame that this is happening it's this is complicated and um you can't blame the biden administration you can't blame just the trump administration you can't blame just bush and clinton like this is 20 years of well, you probably Bad to, blame I mean, you can blame everybody, but yeah. the point like to blame one is not fair. It's 20 years of um, whether it's bad decisions or bad intelligence or ineffective um, strategy, who knows? Um, I'm not an expert, but the reality where we're at now and anybody watching this should say that this is heartbreaking and complicated. And um, I wish there was more. The, the it's complicated, the it's complicated narrative that. really struck at my core because if you remember, and I don't remember if we talked about it on here, we, we probably did, but I was sort of attacked on social media. Uh, one woman in particular, Christine Sadelko, who I definitely know more about the Israel-Palestine oh, conflict then, you, by the way, she like posted my picture on her Instagram feed, et cetera, et cetera, you know, made fun of the way I looked, I don't care. But the point of that, it's all, she did all of that. I don't think I talked about this because I said that this conflict was complicated. Israel-Palestine. Israel-Palestine complicated. Like complicated. literally me suggesting it was complicated is what provoked all this outrage from the left. And now when it comes to Afghanistan, oh, now we can all agree all it's also okay complicated. With now, I, I disagree. You said that the left is getting a heavy dose of competence or something. Yeah. And I, I don't think they see it that way at all. I think they, oh, they don't, but very I think much they... think that Palestine, Israel-Palestine is not a complicated situation, which is just mind-blowing. Um, but Afghanistan and, and goes. Is... It goes to something that I, I think we're going to talk about a little bit later, which is that the strategy over the years on the left seems to have been, seems to be stake out an increasingly puritanical black and white position. 
and treat it like there's no nuance and then attack anybody who doesn't share that super puritanical view or push that puritanical view further to the left. Um, And it's why people like you and me who are very liberal in pretty much every policy area, or certainly I am, right? Like increasingly don't feel like we have a home within the Democratic Party. Um, Your home is on this podcast, Carl. And I do think that's a good segue to talking about our vaccine debate, because this is another instance where drawing a puritanical line doesn't actually, it somewhat helps, but doesn't always help accomplish your goal. But I do think, and this is a good segue, is like, I think what's, what's happening is, um, and you're seeing this everywhere, this kind of lack of institutional trust where we, we don't trust our military, we don't trust our schools, we don't trust this. And it's, um, I want to segue into what we're all kind of seeing both back here in the U.S. is this debate on vaccines and masks right now with the Delta variant ramping up. We are out here saying, you, the Democrats particularly, and are saying, the vaccine is our savior, get the vaccine, 100%, 100%, 100%, get the vaccine. And that's true. We should, if you weigh it out, like do the digging, like we should get a vaccine. It is good. I got the vaccine. You got the vaccine. But it is bullshit to pretend that the vaccine is perfect and it's inauthentic and it it ruins trust because the fact is there's a 0.0005% chance of some adverse side effects, which is actually better in some instances of a whole bunch of other mandated vaccines that we have for smallpox and measles and go down the list. But it's still a small risk, and I think we should all be willing to take it. But if we don't talk about it, you just lose your credibility, and that's right. What's and, and then people who are skeptical about taking the vaccine feel like they're being treated like they're crazy. Yes. Which, on the one hand, you're like the risk is so small. Like you are being crazy. If you're, if you're, if you're, if you're this it, but, fearful about it, it's because you're yes. being fed information that's inaccurate. But I also am not a believer in demonizing people because they've read and believed inaccurate information. Like the, the, the answer to that is not then rolling your eyes and being like, you're such a fucking moron, right? Like the answer right. to that is then like, hey, I hear you, you're concerned about this. Let me talk to you like a human being who's not a complete idiot, because you're probably not, about why this is good. You're and right. and that's the conversation that feels like it's not being had as usual. Here's a risk calculation on the vaccine. If you don't get it, you're more likely to die. 1.7% of people die from COVID. Um, and the vast majority of those people who die from COVID, 99.5% of them are unvaccinated. So you're more likely to die. You increase your um, you increase your risk of getting COVID, you increase the long-term effects, and you increase the ability to give it to others and put strain on our system. If you get the vaccine, you're less likely to die. You are less likely to hurt others, but you are exposed to a very small risk that all vaccines have. And there's vaccine courts in the United States because our vaccines, while we pretend they're perfect, they are not. Now, the chances are 0.00005% or, you know, like the crazy numbers you're looking at. It's like a thousand out of 351 million, which is ridiculously small, where you can get swelling of the heart or small nerve damage or allergic reaction on site. These are real concerns, but they are tiny, tiny, tiny. And in my opinion- So tiny, it almost makes them not real. (laughs) Right, and like the, not in my opinion, I think factually considering the cost benefits, it makes a lot more sense to take the risk of getting the vaccine than the risk of getting COVID. And plus you're helping, you're playing a part in helping others in public health. So if you cost benefit this out as a public policy major when school for this stuff, the cost benefit makes a lot of sense to get the vaccine. But I do understand where people are, and while I'm, we are pro-vaccine, got my shot, you've gotten your shot, I got my Fauci ouchie, all good, two of them. I got my J&J, which I guess is the cheaper one, but whatever. Um, 
it makes sense to get the vaccine, but I totally understand that if people are feeling like you are selling me a perfect utopian vaccine that is close to perfect, it's 99.99% effective, whatever the number is, but well, it still has- less effective now against Delta variant. This is where sure. like, and this is- Well, it is super effective though, because it's preventing people from dying. Um, sure. Well, and when, which, but this is the problem. If you sell a perfect vaccine, then when you have things like this, where the effectiveness rate goes down, you're just handing a victory to the people who are skeptical correct. all along because correct. you were selling a utopia that you can't actually realistically deliver on. Right. The last thing I want to say is that people are very, very, particularly the conservatives up in arms about a mandated vaccine. Um, and I want to say that the government has the right to mandate vaccines for their own and businesses and schools have the right to do this. And we do this. We do this for chickenpox. We do this for measles. We do this for polio. We do it for almost every major disease that we've had a vaccine for. The government can do it for government employees. Schools can do it for their schools and businesses can do it for their private business. So for those freaking out about overreach of the government, they are well within their right to require it from public health standpoint, the same way they require pants, the same way they require tetanus shots, this is in that lane, and you're going to see that as this vaccine gets through the FDA, gets approved. I think that it's important to clarify, because when people hear government mandated, right, that's all the Republican spidey senses, like, start tingling. Yes. And does this mean that if you don't have the vaccine, if I don't have the vaccine, and I'm just, like, walking around outside, I'm going to be cuffed and put in jail? No. Okay. And I think that's the piece that may actually be important to clarify. My yes. understanding is a government mandate means if you're going to be in a government building around government, other government officials, right? Like France bans religious symbolism in government buildings. They say you can't wear a burqa or a, you know, yarmulke right. or something in a, in a government building. That's a government ban on religious symbols. Right. But that doesn't mean that, you know. They banned it for everybody. And, and there's a big distinction. And like you so cannot get the so vaccine you, all you want. You just can't participate. You're mandated to get the vaccine if you're going to work in a government building, if you're going to be around other these other government. If you're going to be in school, if you're going to, and like every business has the right to say, at least right now, legally and legal precedent saying like you have the right to say, if you're Chipotle, if you're not vaccinated, you're not, uh, not allowed to come in here. And by the way, if as a business, I have the right to say, I won't bake you a cake because you're gay. It's also valid to say, right, I won't yes. let you work here if you don't have a vaccine. You're going to kill my staff, right? Because I'm worried about COVID. You could say that. So that is what we're talking about. Where it gets dicey, where I'm, I'm hesitant is how far that reach goes. Where it's one thing like private business, right? But if government, if the federal government starts saying you can't cross state lines if you haven't gotten the vaccine. And I have empathy example. truly. Like this is what, because I think most of our listeners are pro-vaccine and have probably gotten it. And and because Democrats claim they're the party of empathy, but I think they sometimes have real blind spots to it. I have empathy for the people who are living in, call it red states or Southern states, who for a variety of reasons, all they're being fed is propaganda or, or lies about what this vaccine is. And they're stuck in that bubble and in that loop on their social media feeds, mm -hmm. on their mm -hmm. podcasts, like everywhere they turn, that's all they're getting, right? Mm -hmm. And then they hear the government saying, you can't leave your state unless you're vaccinated. And they truly believe that the vaccine is going to cause all sorts of horrible things because that's all they're, that's all they've been consuming. Like I actually have empathy for that sense of I've now been trapped, grab my gun and storm the government. I don't agree with any of it at all, but I think it's really important to put yourself in the mind of people who are living in that universe. I think right. the fact we don't do that enough and that's how we end up just like talking past each other all the time. 
What's heartbreaking is that we have a literally objectively a miracle vaccine. It is a wonderful thing. It is saving millions of lives and our country and our world as we know it. And we've politicized it where we can't have rational conversations about it. And there are people that are not getting it and theoretically hurting others because of political views. And that's where we are as a country. And it's very, very, it's heartbreaking. Similar to Afghanistan, it's heartbreaking. Um, okay. Let's talk about verifiable credentials and talk. We got Sebastian on, who's pretty awesome. I've learned a ton about verifiable credentials and it's a way to somewhat establish a different type of trust when the world around us is burning. You met the, Sebastian in person, right? Yeah, I, I met Sebastian a couple of weeks ago in Miami, the, the trip that keeps on giving. I went to Miami for Miami Hack Week, met a bunch of badass developers, coders, entrepreneurs working on really cool projects. Sebastian was one of them. I've been a, a fan of verifiable credentials for, for a little while now, uh, as in like a few months, but that's actually a long time in blockchain world <laughs> because most of this shit is like All so nascent. Um, so if you're talking about how to verify if someone's got a vaccine without a big brother situation, verifiable credentials on the blockchain are your solution. Am I right? Sure. I mean, it, it's, a, it's a way to verify that you've gotten the vaccine without the government or a state government, for example, having to store vaccine records of everybody right right and Which so you powerful. still you still have to trust the government when they say get whoever's vaccine, issuing that but they're not right. like yeah but they're not they're not going to keep and store all of that so if all of this this all might be gibberish to you why don't we just get into the episode so people can understand introduce our back into individual hands oh sebastian mellon co-founder ceo of cerebrum you'll learn more about it right now All right. I am so excited to have Sebastian Mellon here. He is the CEO and co-founder of Cerebrum. Sebastian, you and I had the pleasure of meeting in Miami for Miami right. Hack Week. And I thought what you were doing was super interesting. I thought you were super fun and impressive. And so we wanted to bring you on to talk a little bit more about what you're up to and what Cerebrum is up to. Uh, so maybe we start there. Do you want to tell us? Yeah. What the hell are you doing? What is Cerebrum and what yeah, do you yeah. do? So uh, I'm the co-founder and CEO of Cerebrum. You can visit us at Cerebrum.com, also uh, linked up here if you're on video. And what we do at Cerebrum is we verify all kinds of data. Now that means everything from background checks to COVID tests to drug tests um, and pretty much everything in between. There's a big problem uh, in the modern world, which is that a lot of the in information that we interact with is in what I call credential format. And that means that it has three basic attributes. It has an issuer, it has a recipient, and it usually has a set of claims about that recipient or about some, something associated with that recipient. So for example, uh, a driver's license is a credential, right? Uh, because it's issued by usually a state DMV, the recipient is an individual, and it has a set of claims like your address, date of birth, um, your ability to drive, so on and so forth. And you're an organ donor. Or whatever. Yeah, exactly. You check right? that box. You've got Be an organ it. donor, so, folks. All right, check sorry. that box. <laughs> no, right there, right there with you. Um, and so all those sets of claims, which are really important, right? Like being an organ donor or not, are affixed to this credential. Now, the thing is, for important credentials like driver's licenses, we have a lot of ways to verify them, right? We have holograms. We have other anti-forgery devices. And generally speaking, you know, unless maybe you want to get into a bar uh, and you're going to college and you're not 21 yet... Um, there's no real need to sort of forge these credentials uh, for, for sort of 
official purposes, right? If you tried, you'd get caught. Maybe you can get by the bouncer, but you can't get by sort of the state government. Um, but that credential is expensive to create, right? It costs a lot of money to print that driver's license, to authenticate it. And there are, there's a lot of work that goes into creating that card. Um, now, a lot of other documents, which are also equally important, don't have that kind of verification built into them because they're either digital documents that aren't represented in sort of physical format like a driver's license is, um, or they're something like a paper document, right? And one of the examples which I think can translate what we do at Cerebrum Best is what we're doing at LAX right now. So we recently launched about six weeks ago a program at LAX where we started verifying all of their COVID test results. And that's as the a, airport, right? For those of you who don't live correct. in LA or travel often. <laughs> right, that's uh, Los, Los Angeles International Airport. Um, and so at Los Angeles Airport, LAX, there's a lot of COVID testing going on. There's a lot of people traveling overseas to locations where COVID tests are still required. Um, the biggest problem is that these COVID tests up until now, and actually still in most locations, are issued without really any way to verify them except for calling the laboratory, right? So the process traditionally is the person in you know the airport at in France or in Australia will call the laboratory and will say, hey, we have a suspicious looking test or we want to verify that this test is legitimate. Could you check this number and confirm that this information actually matches what's in, what's in your laboratory system, that you actually issued this test? Uh, and that's a laborious process. It takes a lot of time. And you're missing your flight at that point. <laughs> exactly. You're missing your flight. You're not getting to your end destination. <laughs> not not at all. <laughs> right. Not at all. And, you know, the, the worst thing is that sometimes the lab isn't open, right? If you're in France and all, the, you know, it's whatever, midnight for the lab, there's no one to verify. Um, and and it's, just a, it's just a messy process, right? Like there's no, there, no easy way to verify that kind of data right now. Well, and um, I think the, the fun example that I'd give is you. So you and I were just in Miami Hack Week. And, oh, yeah. Uh, not to blow up your spot, but you showed up with a intentionally falsified uh, vaccination card to That's make correct. the point that it is very easy to falsify these vaccination cards right now because it's a piece right. of paper that you know, you can write on and, and the people checking these things are like giving it a glance being like, yeah, sure. It looks legit. I don't know. And like we all yeah. move along with our day. Yeah. Uh, so this is what yeah. you, you at Cerebrum, you're not singularly trying to solve a like false document problem, but you are no. operating in the healthcare space and trying to, to right. make smoother the process of verifying health records, sharing health record, you know, sharing health information, et cetera. Is that, yeah, that, that's actually right. That's, that's essentially right. Um, we do a, a lot of work, actually, in a lot of sort of different sectors through a, a large background check company, which is a close partner of ours, that does about six to seven million background checks annually. So they have a lot of people and a lot of important data that they're verifying. And what we're able to do most simply, like in this COVID testing scenario, what we're working on with vaccination cards, what we're working on with a, a set of other documents, is affix a sort of QR code um, to the document that is scannable. And that scannable QR code pulls up a page which shows that cryptographic trail, which verifies whether or not that document and the contents within it are legitimate. And we can get into in a moment sort of how that works, but I'll, I'll give you a little bit more of a background on sort of how I came to Cerebrum and, and what we do um, more generally with the different industries that we touch. Because we don't just work in healthcare, we also work on the compliance side of things like youth sports, um, where uh, you know, sexual uh, offenders, sex offenders, assault um, is unfortunately a very big problem. There are predators mm -hmm. out there, right? And 
there's all sorts of people who worm their way, for example, into youth sports leagues. And the way that they get into these youth sports leagues is maybe they make friends with an administrator or they don't get background checked. Yeah, it's really dark, right? And um, the, 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 the process that we're able to enforce there is through another application of this sort of core technology that we use, which is called verifiable credential technology. Uh, and we'll yeah. get into sort of how that works and, yeah, and, I would and love what that to, does. How does, this, how does this functioning work? I know you're, yeah. you're fundamentally on the blockchain, but that means so many For different sure. things to so many people now, especially yeah. slower people like me. Definitely. Uh, how does it work? Yeah. So I think if we start from the basics, it, it might help here. So basically what a blockchain is, um, is it's a big series of transactions. It's basically just like a long ledger, right? But it has this a very special attribute, which is that to write data to this ledger, you need to write it from what's called a public-private key pair. And the way that you can think about a public-private key pair is sort of like a P.O. box. So if you have a P.O. box, everyone knows your address, right? Mm -hmm. Everyone can send mail to that address, or in the case of a blockchain, send currency to that address. But only you have the key to that box, which allows you to unlock it and send information from that address or get the, the information sort of encoded within that address, which might be currency or other kinds of information. And with the blockchain, you can actually also prove that you sent information from a certain P.O. box. And what that means is that we can give everybody a P.O. box, including, let's say, issuers of important information and recipients of important information, and sort of say verifiably, hey, uh, this organization at this address issued this letter or this information or this document and actually sent that to the P.O. box of a certain recipient. And that means that I can then go to anybody else and say, hey, here's this sort of certified mail, if you will, coming from whatever it may be, Acme Inc., uh, the state DMV. And here's the proof, the cryptographic proof that I haven't tampered with it since it was sent to me by that issuing organization, right? And in practice, what that means is that we can take all sorts of information, like let's say a background check, which says that you're not a sex offender, you don't have any national criminal records, so on and so forth, package that into this sort of cryptographically verifiable package, which really just means that I can't tamper with it. And then I can share that package with anybody else and they can verify that that information is legitimate and that I haven't tampered with it in that process. So essentially, Sebastian is yeah. ruining underage drinking for yes. forever. Yeah, screw you, Sebastian. <laughs> yeah. Um, so no, I mean, I, I joke, but tr- truthfully, we are... Th- th- fake ID that said I was 25, <laughs> that had holographic keys on it, would have worked in a right. world where Sebastian doesn't exist. Thanks a well, lot, What asshole. did work um, in a world where Sebastian didn't exist. Well, and it's funny, right. you had a Vermont ID, a fake ID. I had a Connecticut fake ID. You lived in Connecticut. I lived in Vermont. Anyhow. Well, my, my point, my, so bigger question is, yeah. so this sounds like, all right, we all have a, like your birth certificate or social security card. For sure. Love those. And there's, right. there was a world, in order to get your passport, you needed it. In order to get your driver's mm-hmm. license, sometimes you need it. Mm-hmm. And... I agree. Well, look, look, one, you're solving a couple problems. One, if it's digital, it's a lot harder to lose, I imagine. Um, right. Because it's theoretically in the cloud or somewhere. Um, For sure. And two, particularly social security cards, um, they're a little, probably, 
probably easier to fake in many ways, or there's always people making copies and things like yeah. that. Um, and this would be 100% verified every time at no additional cost to both the producer and the yeah. consumer. Is that that that's a, that's a simple def- way for me to understand? Yeah, it's a it's a fair way of looking at it, and it's and it's a sort of a good breakdown of, of where this technology can be applied. Now, the, the way that we see it at Cerebrum is that. This is really space age technology that allows anybody to verify any kind of information um, and who it came from. And it also has additional attributes uh, like the fact that you can do something called zero knowledge proofs. And that's an example of where you might have a driver's license and you want to go to a bar and you don't want to show you know, the bouncer or the bartender uh, your address, your name, your date of birth, any of this sort of sensitive information about yourself, which you reveal any time you give someone your ID. And so you can generate a proof which proves that you're over 21 without revealing any other information. You don't have to show your birthday. You just need to show a verified credential that validates that you're over 21. You've got it. And so this is this concept of like self-sovereign identity. Is that right? Like I I as the individual am in total control of what I share. So I I think what's interesting is I know you don't now, you don't exclusively work in healthcare, but Sure. Uh, you showed me a really cool example of how a hospital, for example, could issue a verified credential using Definitely. your platform to an individual. Definitely. And I, I found that so interesting because I had read a story previously about, I think there was a, a famous actress somewhere in Europe mm-hmm. who had been admitted to a hospital and yeah. it ended up being found out that her hospital records were viewed like over 350 times or, or some many number of yeah. times by, yeah. by hospital workers and administrators who had access to their system, who were able right. to go in and because she was a celebrity, wanted to go see her health records. Yeah. Something like this is a really powerful way to, to combat against that. Is that, oh, yeah. is that right? A hundred percent. And actually, since you bring that up, I'll, you know, the, the thing that we built at Miami Hack Week was this vaccination um, sort of verification system. And the way that that worked is you could come in, enter your information, it would enter, create sort of a demo vaccine card for you issued by the Miami Hack Week Health Center. And actually, if you'd like, you can go to miamihackweek.org and create one yourself right now. It's live there, and, and then you can try and verify it and validate it. That QR code will link to a web page. Um, but you bring up a really important part of this system, which is that the core concept of self-sovereign identity is based on consent. Basically, if I want to share you some attribute about myself or prove something about myself, I now have the ability to do that. I can prove that I have a certain background check. I can prove that I have a certain vaccination. I can prove that I've had a COVID test or anything else like that. I can prove that my certain medical records or prescriptions were issued by the correct parties. But if I don't want to share it, I'm not compelled to. And the choice to share that is always up to me. And that's one of the things that I also find important, you know, not only in, in uh, sort of medical records, healthcare, but more specifically in the place we're at right now with vaccination records and vaccination verification, because there's a lot of concern, and I actually think rightly so, about having these centralized databases of who has which status and who's been vaccinated how. Yes. You know, I, th- I think the right way to, to approach it is say, look, if you want to verify that you've been vaccinated, let's give you the tools so that you can do that right? Let's not sort of create this surveillance state where everybody's tracked in a central database. Let's give you the tools so you can say, mm-hmm. I've been vaccinated. And if you want to go to an event with other vaccinated people, you can be sure that everybody there has been vaccinated as well, right? And if you want to, um, you know, not reveal your vaccination status and not be admitted to such an event, 
that's that's your right, right? Mm-hmm. You, you don't have to be trapped. We don't have to have a surveillance state to keep everybody safe. Mm-hmm. And I think yeah. that's one of the most important sort of concepts of self-sovereign identity and really verifiable credentials more generally. You know, what are the restrictions on doing this? So this all sounds like a dream scenario in theory where I have all my info. Yeah. It's in my crypto wallet or it's in my sure. some form of platform, right? Mm-hmm. And I can mm-hmm. pick and choose what I need to share. And one of the things I hate where it's, um, for example, if you're getting an apartment, you're going to rent something, right? And they need to do a credit right. check on you. Right. I all the, They need my social security number to go to Equifax or wherever they want to go check yeah. my credit, right? But yeah. in the process of that, I give my social security number to a broker, then to a landlord, then to building right. management, then to Equifax, and back down the chain. Those people yeah. don't need my social security number. Um, so, but my question is, in order for this to work, right? Let's say you build one thing, but then let's say Equifax builds another type of blockchain verifiable, identity, like, you know, um, yeah. like verifiable credential. As kind and of then verifiable credentials. McDonald's sure. has one to make sure of this. And then everybody's got sure. their own different chains. Right. Can right, they, right. like, is there a, um, a way for them to work seamlessly? Is that how the blockchain works? Or is like, is everybody building their own things? There's, you don't need a middleman to connect yeah. them all. Yeah, it's, that's, a, that's a really uh, cogent question. And I think it's an important one to ask. Right now, this whole space is very nascent, right? And a lot of what's going on is experimentation, making sure that things work and trying to find sort of initial use cases because right. the technology is brilliant. But if you can't really apply it, exactly. In real life, it's complicated. And the thing is, a lot of legacy industries, it's actually against their business models to integrate with self-sovereign identity. Yeah, solutions. you're going to blow it up. Yeah. Exactly. So they're in some way, they're actually disincentivized to adopt this technology, which is not great, right? It's, it's a downside. Um, and it's also a risk for, for companies that are trying to build in this space. Now, I love the example that you brought up actually about credit checks, because in the work that we do uh, with this background check company, a lot of what we're working on is the concept of data minimization, right? So to, to tie back to that youth sports example, if I want to go on a, on a field as a volunteer or a parent coach and show my status that I have a certain registration card, that I'm not a sex offender, so on and so forth, all I have to prove is a credential that shows I'm, I'm qualified, right? And that qualification means all of these other things. But I don't have to share that background check with my local administrator, which contains my social security number, address, mm-hmm. date of birth, all that information, right? Same thing if you're going to get a credit check. Now you can prove, look, my credit score was authenticated by this background check company, which is why we have this partnership and it's so useful to us. You can share that with anybody else and no one else needs to know what your social security number is or your other information to verify that data, right? And, and uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Sebastian, but a lot of people who are building and working in the space, and I would imagine mm-hmm. Cerebrum as well, are building using open standards. So this would yes. get to Zach's point about yeah. can these be transferred? And the beauty yeah. of, I think, this industry is that people have a real, they, they want to make this new future a reality, right? Yeah. And so they're, they're yeah. working within the, within the framework of open standards, which Sebastian, you can probably speak to better than I can. But mm-hmm. essentially, Zach, what that enables is that, yes, if all these different companies have their own kind of credential, they yeah. actually work seamlessly within each other and within the systems that are being built. Right. Um, You've got it. Yeah. So Facebook, for example, it's, I mm-hmm. think is a good example of like wi- widespread mainstream adoption where they start for with sure. the college kids who are tech savvy, but they eventually, and they right. eventually get to my parents who think the college kids are doing something cool. And now it's <laughs> right. grandma and grandpa. Um, right, right, right. Who right. still don't really understand it, but that's fine. 
But sure. um, there, my experience with with the blockchain and buying, I bought a, I bought Ethereum and I have a little bit of Bitcoin. And Carly made me buy a Stoner Cat. Um, okay, that's my that's my crypto experience. I wanted um, him to buy it. a V friend, which is really gone. Which up. we should have. Well, I did, talk. but yeah, Carly's killing it on that. Anyway, okay, um, <laughs> I hear you. But it was it was complicated. Um, yes, there are, and every time yeah. I think I understand, there's a new mm-hmm. term or a new like. Ga- I didn't know anything about yeah. gas prices, and now I have right. it, which is like how the cost of buying yeah. or selling crypto, um, essentially. Right. So my question is, in your opinion, mm-hmm. what you're doing is it? Just gonna be cool. It's is it like TikTok yeah. in the sense that grandma and grandpa are never gonna do it, but this is like <laughs> eventually gonna become the new norm because young people understand this and will learn it and grow up with it. Yeah. Or is there a world where this becomes mainstream? Because my fear is, if it's TikTok, forty years from now we're still using social security cards. Um, and I, that's funny because my just, my main question was gonna be how long until this is mainstream? Because I have presupposed like I'm already in like, the all place the crypto where people are like gonna everyone's mainstream. gonna do this. <laughs> right, and, right, uh, right, right. I don't really yeah. know if I agree. Um, I want no, to agree. I, and and I mean Zach, I think you make a, a really uh, important point, which is that a lot of this technology is inaccessible. And that's actually a big problem. I mean if, if yeah. everybody who uh, has access to self sovereign identity is someone who's already privileged, if you will. That's not really doing that much good, right? And if that means that 1% of people get to hide their social security numbers and everybody else gets relegated to these legacy systems that they don't understand and you know have to be sort of forced into, that's also no good. One of the biggest focuses that we have at Cerebrum is finding real-world applications of this technology that are also actually easier to use than legacy systems. Mm-hmm. And that means that you don't have to understand gas or you don't have to understand public-private key pairs or blockchain transactions or even what a a SHA-256 hash is, right? All you have to understand is this green check mark shows up. And if I want to go into the technology, if I'm a tech-savvy person or if I really want to verify this data, I can follow that trail, right? But if I don't, I don't have to. And so one of the examples is for this demo that we built at this Miami Hack Week, is a project uh, around sort of verifying those vaccinations, right? And we were actually able to put that onto these NFC cards. So if you tap your phone with an NFC card, it'll pull up a validator link. If you scan a QR code with your phone, it'll pull up a validator link. And then our validator system will show you this credential is legitimate. Here's the cryptographic proof if you want to verify it. If you don't, here's the rest of the data. And the really nice thing about that Actually, in contrast also to things like the Excelsior Pass, which you may be familiar with if you're in New York. In New York City, yeah. yeah. Or New is York that State, sorry. It's, it's accessible to people who don't have a smartphone, right? And a large portion, a surprisingly large portion of the U.S. population doesn't have access to the Internet or, the smart, or, or smartphones. And with this, we can issue them a little card. And anyone who wants to verify it just needs a smartphone. They don't need an app. They don't even need to know how to use an app. They just tap it on the back of their phone. Same with the QR code. And that's, for example, one application where I think this technology is actually really useful. The cryptographic verification is done on the verifier side. And all that the holder of that credential needs to have is a card or a QR code. And that can be on paper. They can hold that in their wallet. They don't need to understand any of these complex concepts, but they can still benefit from that, you know, technology and sort of the leverage that that cryptographic verification gives them. We've now politicized. It's so funny. When COVID started... We're all like, oh, God, we need a vaccine. Let's get this over with. And now the vaccine's the most political thing out there. I don't think to the average person, but at least in the media, it feels like everybody's got a really strong opinion. Um, Yeah, yeah. 
And, uh, you know, Carla and I have talked, um, and I know we bo- we're both kind of in the middle. It's like, look, if you want to get vaccinated, you should. It's mm-hmm. better for society. There's a lot of science, like most of the science and most of the medical community is saying get vaccinated. Um, for sure. But there's also, I believe, particularly those who lean more conservative, this fear of an authoritarian government, which is like, you can't yeah. come into New York City or can't travel in between state borders if you're not vaccinated. Um, oh, yeah. And so there's that piece and the concept where like Excelsior or the vaccine barcode or license, whatever it is, right, where you're right, feeling right. like the government has this crazy check or, un, or not check box of um, database of, of human beings, yeah. um, which feels on the extreme end, people are saying it's like the Holocaust. I, I would say that's too extreme, but it does mm-hmm. feel a little authoritarian and big brothery. Um, yeah. You had mentioned how this could be a happy medium, but thoughts on, you know, your thoughts there. And um, is it even possible to to thread the needle here? Yeah, you know, it's it is a big topic. And I think it's a really important conversation to have. I think that that with something like this, there are no easy answers. Right. Um, just because there's so much complexity swirling around on the medical community, on the civil rights side, on the equality of access side. Everything is is sort of uncertain, but it is important, I think, that, that we take steps to safeguard people and also, um, you know, keep people's civil rights intact. And so the way I see it is sort of twofold. One side of things is a lot of the people who have problems with this um, sort of vaccination push or are hesitant to get the vaccine, I think are actually hesitant mostly because they don't have the same level of privilege or access that a lot of people who do get the vaccine do who have easy ways to make vaccine appointments, easy ways to download these apps, live in circles where it's quite common to get the vaccine, everybody's open to it. Um, and, and it may also feel, you know, if you don't have a smartphone or if you uh, don't have internet access and you're hearing about New York City implementing this uh, forced vaccination pass that you need a smartphone to use, you know, that's, that's terrifying, right? How am I, I'm not gonna be able to participate in society. And I think that offering the ability to use like technologies like NFC cards or QR codes where you don't need to have a smartphone is a, is a step forward. Now, on the mandate side, um, I also don't think mandates, I'm, I'm personally not in favor of mandates. Uh, and the reason for that is that I think that if you want to be around people who are vaccinated, we should build the tools so that that can happen. If you want to have a community, if you want to have events where you can verify that data, let's build those tools. And that's a lot of what we're working on. Uh, at Cerebrum. And one last piece of that actually is that sort of centralized database concept. The ultimate goal of of self-sovereign identity is really that you don't have those centralized databases. And that means that the vaccine site itself issues that credential. And then there's no real centralized database of who has which vaccinations. There's just this cryptographic proof that you actually got a vaccination if you want to share it. And it's not something that's stored in this sort of big, big brother type surveillance state centralized database. As for sort of the political side and and how mandates will work and how events um, and private venues versus government institutions can require that, I think that's a really complex interplay. And I'd say, you know, I'm not an expert in that field, so I'm probably not qualified to comment more deeply on it. I hope that's That's a a sufficient answer. (laughs) That's fair. All right, Um, cool. The the last thing I'd add, which is up here if you're on video, but um, if not, is I'll, I'll put up a list of resources at Cerebrum.com slash Yang Speaks about self-sovereign identity, verifiable credentials, how those different pieces interact, 
um, and sort of how we see that working and a little bit more about what we're doing at Cerebrum, including like a, a press release about our LAX project and a link to that vaccine card demo system. And that's C-E-R-E-B-R-U-M dot com slash Y-A-N-G speaks, Yang speaks. Cerebrum.com slash Yang speaks. Awesome. Yep. You rock. And you are, you, you are a Yang donor. So you, I am. Two you, time, for both campaigns. A two-time <laughs> Yang donor, yeah. near and dear in our hearts. Thanks, man. Thank yeah. you Maybe sometime much. we'll win one for you. Um, uh, yeah. Hey, <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm all there with you. That's our show today. Tune in every Thursday. Zach Brown and Carly Riley here on Yang Speaks. We'll see you guys next Thursday.